Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify women and BIPOC voices. We're bringing Wonder Women Tech to the airwaves. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. It's Lisa Mae Brunson with the Wonder Woman Tech Show. And today we're chatting with Josie Haynes, who has spent 20 years in the tech industry as a software engineer, tech lead, and engineering leader at the forefront of emerging technology across Silicon Valley, including engineering manager on Siri at Apple, and both principal software engineer and director of engineering at Zynga for a variety of teams. She is currently the senior, senior Director of Platform Engineering at Tile, where she is integrating the Tile technology into the 5 billion Bluetooth devices released every year. She is also an advocate for women in the tech industry and actively mentors on the Plato and West platforms. Josie started Women at Siri and leads the Belonging at Tile Employee Resource Group and Mentorship Program. Welcome to the show, Josie. Ah, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's so great to reconnect with you because you were one of our Wonder Woman Tech conference speakers and you joined us last year for our first ever virtual summit. So I'm excited to have you in our ecosystem. Yes, it's it's definitely so exciting. Yeah, I love that we get to have a technical engineering conversation today. But before we get into that, I would love you to take us on a trip down memory lane. <laughs> I know you were born in Puerto Rico. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and your childhood? Yeah. So like you said, I was born in Puerto Rico and I lived there till I was five and we moved to Florida. Um, that was actually also around when I got my first computer, a Commodore 64. And I fell in love with technology growing up. Um, I loved playing video games. I built my first computer when I was in college. Um, my parents wanted me to be a doctor. So I actually got a chemistry degree at Princeton. However, I realized my junior year, I really had no interest in going to grad school. And so I was like, well, I better get a job <laughs> or my parents are going to be pretty upset. And so I actually got a job as a technical consultant for PricewaterhouseCoopers. And uh, that's kind of how my career started. Yeah, I mean, so it seems like a seamless journey, but we know that that life is not like that. I mean, did you, what were some of your earlier influences? Because I know you mentioned you had a Commodore 64 at age five. So first of all, what is a Commodore 64 for those of us who have no clue what that even is? And what were, you know, like, did you have siblings that kind of competed for that? <laughs> so actually I was pretty much raised as an only child because my brother and sister are actually 20 years older than me 
Oh, wow. And yeah. And so um, my brother actually was an electrical engineer. And so he actually encouraged a lot of my interest in technology as I was growing up, as did my parents. And a Commodore 64 is actually one of the very first personal computers um, that people had in their houses and that were actually affordable enough for, you know, common folks to like buy um, <laughs> and uh, so yeah it you could play a couple video games on it um, it had a cartridge to save things on um, so yeah the the amount of space it had is less memory than your cell phone has like right now by far so well I imagine it must have looked gigantic right so this one actually was, um, you know, not huge, but it was very, you know, if you remember like early Star Trek computers, like that's kind of what it looked like. <laughs> I don't even know what a Star Trek computer is, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do some Googling after this episode for sure. So you grew up in Puerto Rico, but then you moved to Florida at the age yep. of five. Mm -hmm. um, so what was that, you know, transition like for you? And do you even remember life in Puerto Rico? And how, what were the sort of uh, contrasts that you experienced? Yeah, so, you know, I remember a couple things about life in Puerto Rico. The two biggest memories I have are actually... Um, my parents' house had a pool, and they taught me to swim. I think I was swimming practically when I started walking. Right? They they had me in the pool from age set. I mean, from from six months, and so I was always in the water. And so I always grew up loving the water. And it was very fascinating when I ended up meeting people in college who had never learned how to swim because both in Puerto Rico and Florida where I lived you were I was surrounded by water like you always taught your kids how to swim like it was it was just one of those things and so yeah I that is one of my biggest memories and I actually remember so I went to a preschool when I was in Puerto Rico and but I was very much daddy's little girl and I remember I hated getting dropped off at school and I would like <laughs> force him to like hold my hand and walk with me. Um, and then, you know, moving to Florida was interesting because I had, you know, I had learned English um, when in my preschool. And so when I moved to Florida, I ended up taking some tests to figure out what class I'd ended up in and actually ended up skipping kindergarten and ended up in first grade. And so that honestly was a little awkward, I think, from a just like making friends perspective. Um, growing up, I think between being an only child and just like the fact that my dad was retired and he was at home all the time, I just was very used to being alone and, you know, playing with myself. And I didn't really have that many friends or like close relationships that much growing up. It was really, you know, it's interesting if, you know, reflecting back on, you know, myself, 
if anybody knew me as like, you know, in my early teens and saw me now, they'd be like, wow, you're so much more outgoing than you were. <laughs> and I mean, and the thing is, even in like people who knew me in my early 20s compared to now are so like, oh my gosh, you're so much more outgoing than you were. And so, <laughs> yeah, I uh, I definitely have, uh, you know, for, for people who are like, oh my gosh, I'm an introvert, you know, as you know, when I was young and I don't feel like I can break out of my shell, like, trust me you can um if you put you put your effort into it you can definitely break out of that shell I mean I can certainly relate because and and people don't believe me and and this is a hundred percent true so I was a super shy child I'm the oldest of five growing up six total but um, you know, we were bullied, we were poor, we, we lived in New Mexico in a very small city. Um, and I really kept myself and I was like, literally that girl in the corner reading a book. Books were my favorite thing. And my second favorite thing was classic movies. I didn't speak to anyone. I didn't have my first real friend until I was 13. And then even then it was just her and I, and I was super shy. And now just being this outgoing person, I actually still have shy moments, believe it or not. I get very nervous getting on stage and I, I, it is work, as you just said, like applying yourself. Sometimes it comes easy and sometimes it doesn't, but you know, you, you definitely can make the introvert part of you work for you and the extrovert if you, if you, you know, if you want. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I'm totally with you. I, you know, I, I loved reading. I grew up reading so many books. I mean, I still love reading. It's one of my uh, passions that I kind of repicked up in the last couple of years. And it's, it's kind of been amazing. Um, But yeah, like you, I didn't really have that many friends until, you know, much later. And, uh, I didn't really mind. Like, I didn't think it was abnormal. It was just like, hey, I'm an introvert. I'm very, very shy. And uh, (laughs) uh, I'm just going to kind of keep to myself, right? And um, so, yeah, it was uh, totally, totally aligned with that one. (laughs) Well, you know, so you you did your education in Florida. Um, Mm -hmm. So what did your educational trajectory look like? And did you stick with the technology track or did you delve into something else first? I know you mentioned that your parents originally wanted you to be a doctor. So can Mm -hmm. you share more about um, your educational journey? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I grew up in Florida and public schools in Florida are not that good. So my parents were able to put me in private school, uh, which you know, I, I'm very appreciative of. And, you know, I actually did really, really well in, uh, in school and ended up actually graduating from high school in three years. And oh, wow. So, You're really yeah. smart. <laughs> <laughs> so skipping grades. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so I actually graduated from high school at 16 and uh, went to Princeton um, and was getting a chemistry degree. Um, and it was hard. Um, you know, growing up, it was just very easy, right? Um, 
I I was smart and school was just easy for me. Like, and so going to college was very much of a shift. You know, I obviously, I actually had a number of uh, jobs, actually. I was working as a technical consultant um, for a little um, a nonprofit that ran in uh, Princeton. And so I pretty much came and helped make sure their computers were up and running and I'd scan stuff for them. And, so this is uh, before you're 18, like you're already a technical consultant. <laughs> well, you know, I was pretty much like just setting up computers for them and scanning documents. Like, but yeah, it was, uh, I, so I, I was on financial aid when I went to college. And so you, I had a job as part of that, but it was washing dishes at the uh, cafeteria. And I pretty much lasted about a week. And I said, well, I better find something else to do. And I actually found this nonprofit that pretty much was just looking for a student to help them, you know, with their computers and set up stuff. So you... Uh, what did you actually get your degrees in? So my degree is in chemistry with a minor in material science. And so it's the minor that what made, made things interesting. And I remember being there and just thinking, well, I don't want to be a doctor. Like, I was just like, I can't do this another, like, eight years. I was just like, I... I was kind of like, I'm done. Like, I was like, I need to get through my next two years of college. But I was like, I'm feeling kind of done with this whole like going to school thing. I really, I really want to get out there and do something. And, you know, I didn't really enjoy my chemistry classes that much, right? Or my biology classes that much. It was more like checkbox items for me. And I had actually taken a computer science class my freshman year. Unfortunately, um, it was actually computer science 101. So it was like the introduction to computer science. And the professor had no idea how to teach a computer science course for undergrads. He was a graduate professor who was pretty much forced to teach the class. And the average ended up being a 19 out of 120 on the final across the entire class. Like, oh, that's how wow. bad it was. This is at an Ivy League college? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This happens all the time, honestly. Like, people don't talk about this. But, like, when you if you sometimes end up getting, like, professors who only know how to teach graduate students and they get forced to teach, like, an undergrad class, it can actually not be the best class um, <laughs> you know some professors do really suck and so because of that you know a lot of the people you know like now I was one of the few women in that class and I felt very intimidated actually because every guy who was in that class had actually taken like computer science courses in high school. My high mm. school didn't even offer computer science courses. Yeah. And um, so it was, so it was daunting. It just felt like, okay, I don't even have 
the credentials. And then, you know, you, I go to take the next semester class and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't keep up. And so I was like, no, I have to stick with chemistry. But I found out that if I got a material science degree, I could take less chemistry courses to graduate, but I get to take courses across all of engineering. So I, my, my senior year, a couple months before graduation, they have, you know, people come out and start, um, you know, recruiting on campus. And so PricewaterhouseCoopers came and was trying to recruit people to be technical consultants. And so I applied and it sounded interesting and got the job. And so the first three months, they actually send you to a boot camp. Well, at least back then in uh, 1999, they sent everybody down to a boot camp in Florida to teach them how to code. And so um, I spent three months learning to code and ended up picking it up really, really quickly, which is fascinating because A, it just clicked and it just, and it totally made me realize that it was totally about how it was being taught, right? And that's, you know, one of the things that was very fascinating about it was, you know, this wasn't even a university class and it was just so much easier to learn to code than, you know, trying to do it at Princeton. Yeah. I mean, it is so true that um, the way that we are taught and, and the ability that we are able to learn from our teachers really does make a difference and, and also what we are exposed to at any given moment. So if we are exposed to like STEM or STEAM, you know, courses or activities, we are more likely to, you know, realize whether or not we enjoy it. And a lot of times people do actually enjoy playing with computers and science and all of those things. So it's, it's always fascinating for me to hear everyone's stories about how they were exposed and, and, you know, and then also Price Waterhouse Coopers gave you that opportunity. So it's so important, you know, that, that, that we take those opportunities when they come. So you learned to code and then you delved right into a career as an engineer. What were, you know, some of the challenges that you encountered along the way? Yes. So what was interesting was I learned to code at PricewaterhouseCoopers, as I mentioned, and they actually sent me to California for a week to learn a technology that now does not exist, but it was called Broad Vision. The training was in Redwood City. And I came out here and I pretty much fell in love with the Bay Area. The climate, the culture, technology. This was late 1999, dot-com boom, you know, was going crazy. And I was like, I need to get out to California. Um, my job at PricewaterhouseCoopers was in New York City. I was living in New Jersey doing a horrid like two-hour commute each way into the city to pretty much attempt to help as a consultant, but it wasn't really doing coding. I was pretty much helping edit documents and stuff. It wasn't really 
doing what I wanted. I asked them if they transferred me to California. They said they weren't interested. And so knowing literally one person in California, I said, fine, I'll go out there and see if I can find a job. Flew out here and uh, with three interviews, did them, flew home, ended up getting an offer at one of them. And then beginning of February 2000, I moved out to Mountain View and had an apartment. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how my career started. Uh, I worked at a small uh, .com called uh, uh, Yopa. That was my first job out here. And they created... So, all right. So if you go on your bank site today and you want to sign up for notifications, things like that, that's all kind of built into your banking website. But back in 2000, none of that existed. And so Yopa's entire concept was adding notifications to bank software. And mm. so that's what I was doing there. And uh, and now we can't uh, get away from notifications. <laughs> I know, I know. It was, um, and it was interesting because I was working on what would have been considered very much the predecessors to today's voice assistants, um, which was some of the voice notifications for bank software back then. And uh, then I ended up at another small startup called uh, MyGazoo, um, which ended up going through multiple transitions. That one was challenging. Um, I ended up getting fired slash let go. Um, the the CEO, we would call him Honest Pat. Um, he did not always tell us exactly what was truthfully going on at the company, and uh, yeah, it was an it was an interesting time. Let's put it that <laughs> way. Um, and uh, yeah, I, when I left there, I uh, it as the dot com crash had just happened, so I was like, well, I hope I get a job soon. And this is when networking actually started to come to play. And a friend of mine worked at Sun Microsystems and saw that there was an opening for a web engineer. And since I'd been doing, you know some web related things at my first two startups uh he recommended me and so i actually worked at sun microsystems for those of you who don't know what sun microsystems is it, they were bought by oracle what like seven or eight years ago at this point yeah. maybe longer um and they sun created java um i actually found like my Java 10th birthday t-shirt that I had, which I thought was pretty cool. I have a picture of it somewhere. Um, Java's like, what, 25, 30 years old now. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we're not yeah. dating you. But yeah, you, you also eventually like ended up working for Zynga and then Apple uh -huh. um, on the Siri platform. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I uh, worked, at, worked at Sun for a while, and 
I actually got tired of people asking me why my undergrad degree wasn't in computer science. And so I decided to get a master's in computer science. And at first I was doing it part-time at Sun, but realized, but Sun actually stopped paying tuition reimbursements. So I said, I'm just going to go finish it full-time, which is when I actually transferred to UC Santa Cruz to get my uh, degree. And uh, while I was doing that, I actually, again, through networking, ended up getting an internship at NetApp and where I was working on a piece of software called Protection Manager that allows storage admins to manage large storage uh, used by companies. A number of my friends from NetApp um, ended up well, actually, to go back a little bit, after I graduated and got my master's degree, I ended up going to NetApp full time for a few years. A number of my friends ended up going to Zynga in early 2010, and I always loved gaming. And so I decided to follow them. And so 20, June of 2010, I joined uh, Zynga the week they decided to take on Facebook, which was a crazy time to join the company. Um, literally, we were kind of at war. We were about to declare get ourselves to, we were going to get off Facebook. We built our own Zynga.com social network in about two and a half weeks. I mean, it was kind of very hobbled together, but it was <laughs> impressive joining a company and watching a thousand people pretty much create a product in two and a half weeks. I've never seen anything like that really happened <laughs> anywhere else. Um, so it was a crazy time at Zynga. I joined around a little over a thousand people within a year. And after my, uh, after that, I ended up um, going to Florida actually for about nine months. My mom had been suffering from Alzheimer's for eight years and I'd actually been pretty much remotely taking care of both her and my dad. And so after she passed away, I, I wanted to be closer to my dad. And so moved to Florida for nine months and worked at American Express um, on a, um, a credit card that doesn't exist anymore called Serve, which was actually supposed to be their low income uh, credit card that you didn't need, um, I don't think you needed like authorization and stuff to, to get one. And uh, realized I really missed California. And thankfully my dad was doing better. And so, and I really couldn't, I'd become a weather wimp. I, I say California turns people into weather wimps. And, yeah, uh, for sure. I, <laughs> <laughs> I could not deal with the Florida summer I just I the humidity killed me and I was like I have to go back so came back to California and ended up getting a job back at Zynga my old boss said hey do you want to I'm still here do you want to come back and work for me and I said sure I would love to um you know think as you're thinking about moving across the country and all of that, uh, knowing you can just go back to a job that is comfortable sounded really good. And so, you know, did that for a year, ended up working on the central tech organization and was director of engineering for advertising, which is a 
like 25% of uh, Zynga's um, uh, revenue. And, uh, but then one of my friends actually hit me up about a role at Apple. And what was actually fascinating about this role was um, a few months before my mom had passed away, I had actually applied for pretty much another role within the same organization for the same boss. Um, and I had spoken to him and um, it, he remembered me from back then. I had actually ended up having to cancel the interviews because I had said, oh, you know, sorry, I'm now moving to Florida. Um, but the, so the role was for the Siri media team to run the Siri on Apple TV domains. And so I said, okay, this sounds awesome. And ended up going to Apple. And I ended up running Siri on Apple TV, which was cool. We actually got a technical Emmy for that integration while I was leading the team. For... I don't even know you can get a, an Emmy for technical innovation. So it goes to the company, but yeah, so <laughs> it's for doing things like being able to say, um, I was about to say, hey, Siri, but I don't want to wake anything up in my house, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have to be careful when I say those things. Um, you, you can say things like, find me romantic comedies from the 1990s starring Jane Fonda and queries like that which are pretty cool and so that's where the technical Emmy came in and ah. um, I also led the Siri music team during the development of the HomePod where we ended up adding I think over 40 new features to Siri you can say things like um, know the other one if there's multiple versions of a song with different artists and it picks the one that isn't the one you want and you know a, a number of other features like that as well um, that all launched with the HomePod launch and then I also ran um, the Siri sports team and I actually also started the women at Siri uh, employee resource group um, to because one of the things I realized when I was at Apple is there was there was women at Apple. However, you know that was mainly like a large presentation, maybe once a month, maybe every other month. But the women on the ground doing things didn't have anywhere to go and actually chat about what was going on on a daily basis with other people who understood what they were going through. And so that was really my intent for starting women at Siri. And actually, I'm really excited to say, um, after I left, I was not sure whether it was going to continue or not. And I actually found out from a friend of mine that it actually turned now into uh, like women in AI and ML and now spans like three different orgs within uh, uh, the machine learning organization at Apple. So that was pretty exciting to hear. Well, how amazing that you were able to plant a seed and create a legacy for women at Apple. Mm. I mean, I think that's yeah. incredible. So Josie, you've just recently been promoted to VP of Software Engineering Director at Tile. Can you share with us what that role entails and, and what products you've launched? And congratulations, by the way. 
Oh, thank you so much. Yes. So, you know, when I left Apple in early 2018, I thought I was actually going to leave the tech industry, but I realized I couldn't because I saw this statistic, which is 56% of women leave tech after 10 to 20 years. And and so I was like, I'm coming back to tech, but I'm doing it under my rules this time. And so when I actually joined Tile, I spoke to CJ, our CEO, who had just recently joined and said, hey, if you want me to join as their platform engineering director at the time, I want to also head up all of your diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. And he said, sure, I would love to. And I said, I'm also starting a mentoring program because I wasn't allowed to at Apple. Um, And he's like, sure. And actually, we have had a very successful mentoring program at Tile now. We're on our sixth iteration and uh, at like 65% of the company participates every quarter And I open sourced some of the materials and actually Mozilla and a number of other companies have based their mentoring programs off of it. Um, And so that's actually all of the non-engineering stuff that I do at Tile, (laughs) but I obviously love the engineering side of things at Tile too. So I started on the platform side and what that really entailed was integrating the tile technology into our partner ecosystems. So enabling Google Homes and Comcast routers to be able to find your tiles without needing to have the phone nearby, as well as then working with HP and Intel to enable uh, Windows-based laptops to behave as tiles without needing additional hardware. Hmm. And then recently, I also, around eight months ago now, I picked up the web team, which is the e-commerce side of things. And um, so that is everything on tile.com. And then, as you mentioned, I was recently promoted to VP of Software Engineering. And so I actually now own the mobile and backend teams as well. And so that includes all of our core applications, as well as our backend tile services, where we get, you know, over 1.5 billion location updates per day. Wow, that is so incredible. Like whenever I hear people talking about how how much they're managing, it makes me feel like, well, you can keep doing what you're doing, Lisa May. Like, you know, I only managed the most I think I've managed was like 30 people and I felt like that was insane. But um, you know, I'm so excited for for your new journey. You know, you've definitely been pioneering through your trajectory and your journey and I'm so you know, honored that you've taken the time to be with us. But we're going to take a break for today's Pioneering Women in STEAM segment, and we'll be back. Today's Pioneering Woman is Hepatia. Hepatia of Alexandria was a female philosopher and mathematician born in Alexandria, Egypt, possibly in 370 CE although some scholars cite her birth as early as 350 CE. 
She was the daughter of the mathematician Theon, the last professor at the University of Alexandria, who tutored her in math, astronomy, and the philosophy of the day, which in modern times would be considered science. She was a prominent thinker of the Neoplatonic school. She is the first female mathematician whose life is reasonably well recorded. Hypatia was renowned in her own lifetime as a great teacher and a wise counselor. Many modern scholars also believe that Hypatia may have edited the surviving text of Ptolemy's Almagest, based on the title of her father Theon's commentary on Book 3 of the Almagest. Thank you for your pioneering contributions, Hypatia. innovators we are back with Josie Haynes talking about being inspired to get into tech with the Commodore 64 and journeying from Puerto Rico to Silicon Valley so we're going to switch gears a little bit and go a little deeper Josie you mentioned your mother had Alzheimer's um, can you share with us like how you navigated caring for her during the, that time period you were there and supported your father through the transition? And how did that impact you? Yeah, so, you know, it's hard. And one of the reasons, you know, sometimes people ask me, Josie, why don't you have kids? And I say, I spent my 20s pretty much taking care of my mom and dad. And by the time I hit my early 30s, and I finally was able to kind of think about what I might want to do. I was like, I don't really want to have kids. I want to kind of enjoy my life now <laughs> a little bit, right? I'm going to be a little bit selfish and take care of myself now. Um, and so it was a struggle for, you know, for eight years. Um, my mom's you know, mental health was slowly declining. And for the first and honestly, in some ways, the first three or four years were actually the hardest because that's at the point where she was cognizant that something was wrong, but didn't want to accept it. And that was just very, very difficult for my dad um, because my dad had always had some mental health issues and you know growing up it was mainly my mom taking care of my dad and so my dad actually is you know still alive and well and um, he's actually in the best health he's ever been in his life mm. and I'm so grateful for that now but it was honestly a very hard time for me trying to take care of him emotionally going through this and understanding just he wasn't dealing with it well my mom was struggling with the confusion and she was lashing out and kind of very angry and it was impacting my dad and uh, here I am in California, you know, they're in Florida. So 3000 miles away, I'm pretty much on the phone every night. You know, I remember my bus rides home from Zynga um, because the office was up in the city, but I lived down in the South Bay. So I'd be on a bus ride for an hour and a half every day. And like, I'd be on the bus, like talking to my dad at night, just 
trying to calm him down and make sure he's okay enough to like take care of my mom for another day. And so it was a struggle. And, um, you know, unfortunately, my sister actually passed away three months before my mom did. And Mm. so that was just a huge, you know, another blow. And um, it was it was just hard. And it was pretty much just me kind of trying to take care of it. So, you know, about a month and a half before my mom actually passed away, I went to Florida, just ended up living with my dad, taking care of things, but realized, like I said, I really had to, I I really wanted to come back and and live there and make sure he was doing better. And so thankfully he, he did, he actually found a caregiver who ended up being really good for him. And like I said, he's actually doing better now then I've really actually seen him my entire life almost. Wow. And it's really, it's actually really wonderful to to see that. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And, you know, I know how difficult it can be to, you know, care for your parents. Um, you know, I haven't been in that position. My parents are both doing pretty well, but, you know, being the oldest of five growing up, like I definitely identify with you on, I also don't have kids. So I, I agree with you that like when I busted out to California from New Mexico, I was by myself and alone and I couldn't wait to just like carve out an identity for myself. And, and as you said, be a little bit selfish and trying to find out who I was as an individual and kind of loving my independence. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've been really busy, you know, it it sounds like, you know, just building all the things that you've built, including the programs that you're launching and have launched. Um, But how do you find balance and how do you unwind? What activities do you do? Yes. So, you know, that was one of the big ahas for me um, during that break I took in 2018 was that self-care it was not an optional thing. Like I kind of made it my entire career at that point. And that this was really important and crucial and actually could really help me. And so I, I really started doing a lot more Pilates. Um, I, I do Pilates and uh, work out with my Pilates instructor three times a week. It is like the one thing on my calendar, everybody at Tile pretty much knows, like you don't move Josie's Pilates appointment. Like, you know, (laughs) schedule, like my calendar is a mess. Like I am literally in meetings from nine to six, pretty much almost every day. But people know you do not book over like my Pilates. That is just like, (laughs) it's not going to happen. Like I just won't show up. Um, And you have to be like that sometimes, right? It's just like, you do boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Boundaries. And so I, I also, I love to read and I really, again, you know, that was one of those things when I was a child, I, I just absorbed books. Like I, I just read and read and actually in college too, but I kind of lost 
doing it in my early 20s and wasn't really reading very much. But again, it was just something I've picked up recently. I've started reading a lot more nonfiction too. And, yeah, but me too. Either, either way, it's just, it's very rewarding. I also, you know, I meditate, um, not always, but enough that it, uh, usually going to sleep, I do my sleep meditations and that really helps. And what I tell people is you have to also do things that are fun. And I love playing video games. I actually play Civilization VI with my husband all the time. We were constantly playing it. Actually, that's what we were doing earlier today. In fact, <laughs> before uh, recording this, we were taking a little break before I uh, go get do some productive things this afternoon. And that's where I get my biggest enlightenment sometimes it's not from sitting in a meeting i and sometimes people don't realize that you know i tell people i schedule time to think in my calendar and people might be like what are you talking about you need time to think but it's so important oh, and yeah. I got so many, like I said, I got so many insights just like in the middle of Civ 6 or something. Like that's <laughs> when I like have aha moments. It's not in the middle of the work day. You know, I think my, my product manager is so used to me showing up first thing in the morning on Slack and being like, Oh, so last night I had this like random thought about this thing. Like, what do you think? And he's like, okay, were you playing Civ or something? <laughs> like, that is epic. I love that story. <laughs> and it's so true. Like when you are, when your mind is distracted by other things, you do actually have these aha moments. And it's funny because so many of us can relate to like working ourselves to the bone and then having like either a burnout that forces us to change things or just realizing, wait, I need to change things. And and so you create time for yourself. You create time for fun. You create time for self-care. Um, it's so funny that you mentioned like putting on your calendar time to think because I kid you not, I've I've literally scheduled mindful moments on my calendar because it, it like I will admit, I don't always get the chance to do it. And I, I'm, I'm actually working on that. But I have scheduled it in because it, it has to be, um, you know, a break from the crazy back to back to back Zoom now Zoom meetings. I feel like I'm busier now than I was before because it's like, oh, now I have this Zoom meeting and I'll have that one and that one. It's it's exhausting. Yes. Zoom meetings are exhausting. And... Yeah, it's the back to back. And we're in meetings more now because, you know, I would never be in meetings before 10 a.m. if I had to go into the office or I'd be taking it in the car on my commute because Bay Area traffic was such a joke. Like nobody really expected that you'd be in the office by like 10 a.m. However, my calendar now is totally starts at 9am and ends up going to like 6pm right and it's just I like hear you. So, and yeah it's so like the boundaries have definitely shifted and so uh, what I've really learned to do with that though is then figure out 
okay, if my day is going to be that long, I need to take a break in the middle, right? And so I think that's the other one is lunch, not at the computer. I, you know, I go sit on the couch and like read a book or listen to my audio book or something. Like sometimes I'll literally just like go do the dishes or something, right? As long as it's not (laughs) being in front of my computer for 30 minutes, like that's what needs to happen. So at the Wonder Woman Tech Show, we believe that vulnerability is a strength. So can you share something with us that you have never shared with anyone else before? Oh, wow. Um, That's going to be an interesting one. Um, Hmm. You know, I think going back to to growing up, right? Um, one of the reasons I ended up graduating from uh, high school in three years was actually like that was my way of rebelling. Um, which is obviously kind of bizarre, right? Like, what do you mean graduating from high school in three years was your way of rebelling, right? Like, I, you know, I, I, I love my parents dearly, um, that they were very much traditional Latin parents. And I kind of just felt like I didn't have enough freedom. And I was like, I want to get out of the house. Like, I want to go do my own thing. And so like, how I ended up doing that. (laughs) is being like all right I'm gonna figure out how I graduate from high school in three years and that's how I'm going to do it and so yeah I've actually never shared that on uh, like an art (laughs) in an interview or anything like that before so well that's incredible because it's like like how many people think like I'm just going to excel like super super fast and super amazing and get out of this joint um I wish I had well, I did get out of the joint. I actually did leave, but um, but I, I really love that story. Thank you for sharing that with us, Josie. So you've come quite a long way. So looking back, would you take the easy road or the road less traveled and why? Oh, the road less traveled, definitely, right? Um, Here's, here's something I literally just told one of my employees the other day, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I kind of struggled at Apple. And once I left, I was burned out. I was, I I was feeling pretty awful about myself. Like I was going through a bunch of imposter syndrome. And, you know, I had had people when I had prior to joining Apple saying, you might not enjoy it there. And hey, I guess they were pretty right. But you know, if I reflect back now on my career in the last two and a half years, I would not be where I am today if I had not gone through that experience. And so I tell everybody, you know, my career has not been linear, right? I have definitely had successes, but there have definitely been challenges and struggles and failures along the way. And it's about growth and realizing that everything that might feel like a failure is really a learning experience. And 
you know, treat it that way instead of just getting so much in your head about making mistakes and feeling like you have to be perfect. Um, you know, I think Rishma Shajani, she's the CEO of Girls Who Code or was the CEO of Girls Who Code. And she has a book called Brave Not Perfect, which really resonates with me because, you know, as girls, we really are raised to be perfect in a lot of ways. And I know I felt that way. And so I really struggled, especially in my early career and even in my personal relationships as well, like how to have that voice, like how to truly be me and be okay that guess what? Not everybody is going to like me and I've got to be okay with that. And so I will always go for the road less traveled because it's definitely much more interesting and can be a lot more rewarding. I absolutely agree with you, Josie. I love that. It's been so great to connect with you, have you part of our ecosystem over the last few years and to hear more about your story. And I can't wait to continue watching how you grow at Tile and, you know, the rest of your journey. So thank you for being here. It was great being here and getting to chat with you. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here, innovators. We'll see you next week when we take on the world one more time.